0: Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city, is under Russian missile strikes every night. Situated 40 kilometers from the Russian border, the city is wounded but remains strong and decisive. We went to Kharkiv with a volunteer and cultural trip, and here is our story. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of ukraineworld.org. My co-host is Titiano Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. We did this in this trip to Kharkiv too, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So, Tanya, Kharkiv, what were your impressions this time? We went to Kharkiv actually in June and we came back to the city with the aid to Ukrainian defenders that we collected thanks to donations from our Ukrainian podcast Kult podcast and from uh, Ukraine world and we thank uh, our our uh, patrons for this support we brought uh, we brought important things for the our defenders the electric generator the optical equipment and we've met a lot of people and we traveled also in the Kharkiv region so what your what's our, what are your impressions
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for all the patrons of our podcast to support us because we, we try to use all your, we use, we do use all your money for this military aid. This is extremely important. Um, we've been to Kharkiv in early June and then we revisited the city in the mid of August. So, And uh, there is a kind of uh, important difference between two trips because... Um, In June, there there was a kind of counter-attack of the Ukrainian army around Kharkiv, and Ukrainian troops were almost on the border, the Ukrainian-Russian border. So for a couple of weeks, Kharkiv was out of um, access for Russian artillery, which is unfortunately no more the case. Later in June and in July, the Russian troops are closing now to the city, and uh, now uh, the city is under constant shelling and we could uh, see it and hear it and experience it ourselves we spent uh, three nights in kharkiv and two of these three nights were extremely loud it looks like when you go to bed you sleep and then you are you you are awake because of the huge detonations which seem to you that they are extremely close to you. In fact, they are not. They're not so close, but it, it so, sound is really terrible. So you awake. Uh, you try to understand, and, the, uh, and only when the first strike happens, there is an uh, air alert. So the distance of forty kilometers is so short that the missiles arrive, and only after that. You are informed about these missile strikes, and then uh, I remember the first night there were twelve missiles, and they arrived during maybe twenty, maybe thirty minutes. So it's quite quick. So, and the time between you you get an announcement, for example, by a telegram channel, stating that uh, missiles, a missile or second or third or fourth missile is out is launched, and. Uh, one or two minutes later it arrives, and you really hear it and um, I can difficult imagine how people can live in, 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 in such conditions for a long time because it means that you don't sleep at night because it's impossible not to not to live, not to hear, not to be awake about because of these missiles, and you live in a kind of a feeling of constant danger. Because apart from missiles, there is also artillery fire, and it happens not only during the night but also during the day. And we know from uh, we know from media that many people, unfortunately, and even uh, even kids, um, were killed uh, outside uh, the bus stops, for example, or just they were driving in their cars in Kharkiv, and they were just really. Uh, hit by this missile or artillery fire, so the situation is uh, extremely difficult for people who live. And even if uh, we can understand now that Russian troops, they don't really try to enter Kharkiv, they don't really try to um, to surround the city or something like that. They still want to keep this control in order to. To make Ukrainian army, Ukrainian units keep a lot of military inside or around Kharkiv, in order not be able to deploy them elsewhere, somewhere in Donbass or in the south. Maybe this is a goal. And another important thing that they, uh, Russian army, think that um, that uh, in any kind of huge building, there could be military equipment. Coming from the west or Ukrainian equipment, so normally they try to hit this building, big buildings. It could be culture palace, it could be school or university, administrative building, all kind of building, building which is um, could be used to to stalk, uh, weapons or to place uh, military. But unfortunately, they also hit, especially by artillery. Uh, some residential areas. Uh, we've been to Saltivka in June. Uh, we we've seen everything. So it's, it's horrible, horrible pictures of these smashed um, buildings. But this times, this time in August, we were unable to go to Saltivka because it was too dangerous. Uh, we we had some plans to go to Saltivka, but at that time there were there was an air alert and it was. Mm, really risky to go there.
0: Not only air alert, but there was an actual strike, and uh, unfortunately, people died at this time. Uh, let us let us just share this experience: that you wake up in the night uh, with uh, with air raid sirens, and you open telegram channels uh, about Kharkiv that uh, that inform you about these missile strikes, and uh, and uh, the telegram channel says that well. The first missile was launched. It will fall down in two minutes. Then it says, "The second missile was launched. It was. It will fall down in two minutes." Then the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, and uh, you indeed you hear the explosion, the big explosion in two minutes after this uh, after this message came through 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 these telegram channels. So you really feel that time is very short, right? And uh, Time is just you have you have this time in two minutes and uh, uh, well usually we perceive time as, as something big in front of us and we we plan in years in in decades and when you go to the wo- to the work interview you are asked the question what what do you think of yourself in five years and now you have two minutes and you don't have you don't know actually where this missile will 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 fall whether it will fall around you far from you in a kharkiv in a kharkiv oblast or whatever and this is of course the more you go to the front line the the lesser time you have because soldiers on the front line have even don't have two minutes they usually have several seconds or tenth seconds before they they hear the launch of of of, of a shell and uh before this shell actually comes down. So it's it's really a, a, a completely different perception of time.
1: Yeah, and it creates some, some problems for planning. When you live in a city which is closer to the front line, you also have some problems to plan your time, to plan your life, uh, because it's risky. Sometimes it's risky to take a bus. Sometimes you cannot even imagine what will happen in the months. For example, uh, we are in August and... Um, People are thinking about schools because school starts on the 1st of September. And in all regions in Ukraine, people are starting considering how the kids will be going to school. The Ukrainians are free to choose either online format or offline. It depends on families. It depends on schools. If you have a school and you have a underground anti-air air underground in your school, so you, you're you still able to do so. But in Kharkiv, it's just impossible to plan any kind of family life. And at the same time, you cannot plan anything for winter. And maybe let's talk about that. In Kharkiv, the Russian army has already destroyed this energy unit, one of several. I don't remember exactly, maybe it's of three or four energy units. The power plant. Power, the, power plant. the thermal power plant. Yeah. And uh, the a part of the city, maybe one third of the city, will not will be not be able to have a heating during winter. So it means that people, they 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 cannot make plans for for winter. They will be obliged to leave uh, the city now or maybe in in October. Even if your apartment is okay, your building is okay, and your street is more or less okay, still it will be uh, you'll be unable to stay inside the city.
0: The lots of stories we have heard uh, when the chance, or maybe angels, or maybe God, has saved uh, some people's lives. Let us share this story about a man in this volunteer center that we have visited. Uh, whose car was actually smashed? There was, there is no uh, back glass, uh, and he was telling us uh, this story that, and and it was it, it has um, several holes from bullets or from uh, uh, from the fragments of the shell, and he told us the story that uh, he was traveling near this Kharkiv Oda, the Kharkiv uh, Regional State Administration. Uh, You probably remember that on the 1st of March there was this missile attack on this building and uh, there are uh, horrible, horrible video, horrible footages how this missile just went into the building and uh, completely destroyed it. And um, actually this man was just driving next to this building and there were fragments of the shells and what saved him is the cabbage, that he bought on the market and was bringing to this volunteer center, the 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 the, the big number of these cabbages, which were uh, behind him on the on the back on the back seating of his car, I imagine that it was just going until until the ceiling, and just these fragments went into this cabbage and saved his life because he was he was driving, and uh, yeah, the, these are the stories uh, we have been told. Sometimes you hear the stories that the shell was just coming next to you, to the uh, uh, to the room next to you or something like that, right?
1: Oh, maybe let's talk. Let's tell the story about our friend and editor in Kharkiv who is still here, and we arranged a meeting with him, and we tried to postpone the meeting for maybe ten or fifteen minutes, but he he said he was extremely busy, he didn't have time because he had to go and to verify and to clean up his. Uh, uh, his uh, enterprise after the night shelling, because his printer was damaged. He was print- his printing books. And imagine, he says, I'll be busy with cleaning up all this uh, mess after the night shelling. So it, it's extremely real when you talk to real people and they tell you that they <laughs> they are busy with all this kind of... And, and he said, I, I was lucky, nothing is really damaged on the printer, so um, building is still here. So, but it, it it feels differently when you you look at these people in, yeah, and you understand that a huge part of their time, um, they, uh, they they the best trying to survive.
0: We went also to the region and uh, we visited several vil- villages with these wonderful volunteers from the center Dobrocinitz. Dobročinians means uh, the uh, those those people who make good, uh, who make who bring good to, to to the to the other people. So. They're regularly collecting the humanitarian aid and then they go through around these villages where different people live. And uh, we were surprised to see many children because these volunteers, also the volunteers, the, the writers that we have brought on our family bus, family minivan. We have made this trip with PEN ukraine an organization of writers and human rights defenders and uh these these writers were just playing playing with the kids, doing some master classes and uh it's incredible to see these kids really very close to the front line, very accustomed to the shelling and uh, well ordinary smiling, bright, interesting vivid kids. but at a certain moment we have seen two fighter jets uh f- flying over us uh m- we actually assumed that they were ukrainian fighter jets but uh, uh these kids just uh, mechanically automatically uh, fell onto onto the ground and just protect their heads with their hands because they were taught of course to to do that and so these reflexes which are uh, among the children they are they are there of course and uh, these are the children that experienced this war and for, for whom this war is just uh, just an ordinary, ordinary thing. But when we ask the parents why, why you're staying here, uh, some of them are actually either from the villages uh, which are much closer to the front line and in which or through which this front line is going on. For example, Dirkachi or Cirkuni or some others. Other other are saying that look, we we had an opportunity to stay in Kharkiv. We have apartments there, but it is much more dangerous to be in the city than to be in the villages.
1: That's true. And we also visited a school in a village extremely close to Kharkiv, maybe some five kilometers from Kharkiv, and we are, we talked to the to the director and asked how the how the schooling will be going on and she explained out that according to what she knows, um uh, only around 30% of pupils left Kharkiv. So most of them are still there. And if if you talk about teachers, maybe 90% of uh, teachers are still in Kharkiv, um, even not, uh, not in the Western Ukraine. So most of people are there, but they will be unable in any case to organize an offline learning. They will be doing everything on- online. So, in, including people, children who are in the western Ukraine, or some some of them are abroad, and some teachers are also abroad. But it looks like that a normal life in school will not be possible for this village. Um, and my impression was also that there are a lot of a lot of kids in villages, but not at all no kids inside Kharkiv. And my idea, my guess is that uh, parents are trying to put them outside the city because they do know that Russians try to hit uh, some kind of military objective. Sometimes they're mistaken. All many oh, Quite often they're mistaken. They're trying to be in the private houses Somewhere, somewhere out of the city, but still they do hear all the noises, they understand that there is shelling and this reaction when kids fell down immediately. So, we adults were just watching these fighter jets without knowing what to do, in, in fact. But the reaction of kids was really extremely uh, quick. So, it, pr- it proved that they have a kind of experience of these uh, fighter jets. We do know that there were uh, quite a lot of jets in Kharkiv in during March uh, and a part of April.
0: It seems that now the Russian jets are not flying uh, too much on the Ukrainian territory they are afraid of Ukrainian air defense systems but the helicopters do fly and launch rockets and and come back. So this is what 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 we have been told. Uh, Maybe
1: another story which describes how people feel inside such a city is a story of our cameraman who went with us uh, during this trip. His name is uh, uh, Sanya Jant. And uh, we were sitting in a restaurant and he went out for, he said, for five minutes to buy cigarettes but then we were waiting for him for maybe 20 or 30 minutes we started to call and he tried, he explained out that he was caught by police we we're not sure what was really going on and uh, sometime later we discovered that in fact on his way to to cigarettes he um, he found a kind of a crowd of people people were waiting for for humanitarian aid really a real crowd of people in a city which is almost empty Mm, and he started shooting, just, just filming that. For, for he had some Not idea. Not shooting, filming, uh, yes. filming how to how to tell this story. And at that very moment, police approached because he was filming. Uh, he was filming uh, a gathering, a massive gathering of people, which is perceived in Kharkiv like extremely dangerous, or so somebody is trying to, to film and maybe to communicate Or somebody and says there will be missile strike or... or a yeah, strike.
0: People are really afraid of what is called navochiki, uh, that means the people who are correct the fire or who bring the information to the Russian army, and we were told that there is some, kind, some number of people, seems to be still in the city, uh, who are really helping the Russian army. Therefore... Yeah it is it is quite tricky to to film something in Kharkiv because it can be really under suspicion of the of the police which uh by the way uh we didn't communicate um, I, I don't know you probably communicate with the policeman our friends did communicate with them and they said they they're extremely polite extremely um, extremely generous but uh, so nothing rude nothing 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 uh, was against this this person but really they are they're taking care of it, and they are really suspicious about that about this uh, this activity. but uh, everything went well, and our cameraman is with us, and he helped us to to film a lot of lot of stuff so uh, we hope to to publish uh, many things on our twitter, Ukraine world, and hopefully on our on our YouTube. What's what's next? What what?
1: Maybe uh, maybe yes. What's next? Uh, another impression, which is such a contrast with with what we are living now in Kiev, is that uh, this darkness. When it's nine in the evening, so it's, it's a complete darkness, there are no lights, and people were telling us that not only there is no outside lighting, but also inside the buildings, people try to switch off everything at ten in the ten, um, 10 o'clock. So it means that. Uh, I don't think they 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 are really afraid to be shelled because of light because uh, missiles they are not they are not, they are unable uh, to see if there is light or not and the artillery fire I guess uh, it's not using fire but but there is a kind of fears inside the city and when you walk and we even or if you drive inside this complete darkness it is something surrealistic. Uh, and dangerous as well because you don't see anything when you drive inside the city and especially if this is a city you don't know well
0: so this is Kharkiv as as we have seen it this is also the region as, as we have seen it and uh, There are tragic also stories because during one of the nights we have spent there, the Russians hit the the residential building, the dormitory, and according to our current information, this is a residential building, and uh, 18 people died, including several children, and over 70 people were wounded. And there was also nothing, nothing military there. Some of the information tells us that there are deaf people who are living there and they were just not even able to hear the air raid stru- air raid sirens so this is the reality the reality of hitting on on the residential buildings uh, which is which is a constant reality unfortunately another reality is that uh Russians are hitting the cultural sites the universities we have visited one of the buildings of the karazin universities, one of the oldest universities, not only in ukraine uh, it's it's the second oldest university after kiev mohila academy but also i guess uh, in 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 the russian in the former russian empire so they destroyed one of the buildings in the center kharkiv and this is this is really tragic site actually we we have made uh, some reports from from them from from uh, from inside also they hit the uh, several weeks ago or uh, i think several months ago uh, Pedagog- pedagogical pedagogical uh, university of skovoroda also in the also, uh, in the one of the districts of kharkiv and actually uh, skovoroda is also a very symbolic person uh, because we went to to his museum let us remind you that Reorys is a founding father of Ukrainian philosophy and um, the thinker of the 18th century. We might call him sometimes a Ukrainian Jean-Jacques Rousseau or sometimes we're calling him a Ukrainian Socrates. Uh, Socrates, And um, he's a really remarkable man. And uh, uh, he's also called, called a wandering philosopher. He He's a person who would... Renounce all these career possibilities, all these kind of uh, all these um, temptations of life. He would, in the last several decades of his life, he would travel across Ukraine from from the house to house, from the one uh, one place to another place, and having this at the same time very modest life, but at the same time very educated life. He's a person who would write his letters in Latin and Greek. Uh, and uh, basically in Skovorodinivka, one of these villages near Kharkiv, where he spent his last years and when he died, where he died, uh, there is an immense park, very beautiful. I would call it kind of a Ukrainian Tibet, something a place where you really can meditate and where Skovoroda, which is which looks like a Ukrainian Buddhist monk, right, or mm-hmm. a a kind of a a, a a Zen Ukrainian philosopher, right? Um, he, there is the, the building which, uh, which hosted a museum of Skoroda and it was shelled by the Russians in May, completely destroyed, just a building without any roof now, without, with, with burnt walls, all the precious objects which were in this museum were destroyed. And you can ask the question, why Russians hit the museum of Ukrainian philosopher? And by the way, for Russian intelligentsia, it's considered to be Russian philosopher. So one of the Russian philosophers uh, were placing him as the first Russian philosopher, while we are considering him as a Ukrainian philosopher. But uh, the question is why? So Russians are saying that, look, there was a command point in this building, and uh, as if the Ukrainians were military, Ukrainian military was planning a military operations there and uh, the local people say that this is bullshit that mm-hmm. there was nothing there and when you see the place you understand okay if you if you have a commanding point you probably need several buildings so you you need a certain infrastructure you need to, you need people who would be located you need logistics well there are a few buildings and then the huge park so it's 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 a really very very dubious that the military was there so they really hit, and 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 there was no, there is no target around. There is no other target. For example, in Kiev, we understand that Russians several times try to hit a a a factory, but they actually hit a residential houses. But at least they can say, okay, we missed. We actually targeted this this military factory, and there there is nothing, nothing around.
1: Yeah, really beautiful place, beautiful site, and quite a small house indeed. Uh, my guess is that it's around 100 square meters, maybe not more than that, two or three rooms, so it's quite quite tiny house to um, to to be a place for a common point of Ukrainian army. Ironically, um, as far as we've been in touch with people from cultural networks, they were talking a lot about the project of the renovation of this museum, because the museum was quite old enough, uh, it was Soviet, little Soviet. They had some projects discussed already on the ministry level about how to to reconstruct it, how to make it modern. There were competing versions, competing visions of how what to do with this with this museum, and uh, they had plenty of brilliant ideas. And then the war came, started. The war started, and uh, now they will be maybe easier for them to restart something completely new unfortunately the collection of books which was on the place it's burnt it doesn't exist anymore but um but they will be maybe have more room for for creation now having only, only the walls, part of walls of this site. The site is really beautiful place for meditation, place for walks, fa- fa- place for maybe family and time. So, and a, a beautiful garden, with apple trees, and you can eat these apples directly from from the tree. You are allowed to eat these apples directly from the trees, so you are in the, in nature. So you can enjoy nature and enjoy enjoy yourself or your friends. Beautiful lake just in front of this house. Um, even two lakes, because in one lake you can you are allowed to swim. What we did, in, in fact, uh, something surrealistic when you swim some. I don't know, 40 kilometers from the front line, from the um, from the border with the Russian Federation. Skovorodinivka is 70 kilometers from Kharkiv, so it's not so close. But it, I imagine that after the war, it will be reconstructed, and uh, a lot of people, a lot of Ukrainians, not only Ukrainians, but also Europeans, will be um, will be happy to visit this, this place.
0: Right, and. Uh Let's let's also say that the cultural life in Kharkiv continues. Uh, we have told you in our previous podcast, you can check the previous podcast on, about Kharkiv, which is called Kharkiv, a fortress city. We have told you about Serhiy Zhadan, our greatest, one of the greatest, or maybe the greatest Ukrainian writer, living writer. And uh, we do hope that he will, he will finally get a Nobel Prize. And this is not a joke, because he really deserves the Nobel Prize for literature and um he's a person who is volunteering so much so so he's now really organizing a big bunch of people around him and um and bringing lots of aid both to the military and to the civilians unfortunately when we visited Kharkiv said so he went to Kyiv uh, to make concerts uh, charity concerts here with his poetry and also uh, raising money to to bring some good stuff to Kharkiv, and then he went to Poland, and he, where he got, I think, several prizes, actually, literary prizes. He's very popular in Poland, in Germany, in in America, in, in Canada, uh, in in Europe. Uh, but we've met a, another fantastic person who is called Hamlet, and he's a street artist. A, a and this is
1: his real name.
0: Yes, and uh, he's incredibly passionate and incredibly charismatic. And uh, his studio is, is just fantastic because you see all the sketches and uh, he really shares his energy. And uh, we also made a few videos with, with him, which you can check probably later on, on our YouTube and our on our Twitter. Uh, but uh, he really makes the Kharkiv space much more alive much more kind of provocative in a good sense of the term because he uh, he makes a lot of inscriptions he plays very often he plays with certain soviet slogans Kharkiv city space is actually very uh, very soviet not because of not because of the the cultural stage there but because of this you know, policy of, of the previous mayor, Mr. Kernes, and partially the current mayor, Mr. Terehov. These are really post-Soviet people, linked with the criminal circles, actually. And uh, and they were really creating this image of Kharkiv as a Soviet city and creating this identity of people in Kharkiv who would rather love the Soviet stars of Soviet cinema or whatever. But Kharkiv is... One of the greatest places of Ukrainian culture, both in the 19th century, in the 20th century, now in the 21st century, and Hamlet is is like, this making little kind of uh, literary explosions in this space of the city, and for example, one of the phrases that uh, we filmed uh, is a, a phrase uh, written by him uh, on a, on a, on a, on a fragments of the building which was a literary cafe. Cultural cafe called Old Man Ham, which might be a reference to Hemingway and maybe his uh, his story, right about all how it's called Old Man and the Sea. I, I don't remember actually. Yeah, I and um, and he wrote Hamlet wrote Chas us so you can you can feel the the poetry of these three words Chas us and there is a rhyme also, but it actually means time hears us. Maybe it's a play It's a play with uh, us, the God hears us. Maybe this is kind of this uh, irony about religion, because there is a phrase in Ukraine, you can say it like us, God will hear us, or whatever else. But what does it mean, just chewing us? It's probably this this trauma of Ukrainian culture that time does not hear us because all our sufferings, all our, our history is just time forgets about it, history forgets about it. We, are, we our history is not written in the in the in the books of the global history. We are kind of omitted from this and we really find it hard to tell our story. And suddenly maybe this is the time through this enormous suffering when 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 time suddenly starts hearing our story, what do yeah. you think?
1: Yeah, indeed, yeah. Hamlet is really extraordinary. He is writing, it looks like he is writing his own book on the walls of this city of Kharkiv. And if you spend just a couple of days in Kharkiv, then you are able already to recognize his style. When you see, for example, an inscrip- inscription somewhere on the wall, on a building, you just already already uh, able to recognize a lot of humor, a lot of sarcasm also in what he's doing and what he's writing. He's playing a lot with with Soviet, Soviet uh, style and against maybe Soviet style and somebody real, really creative and really patriotic at that moment. he is really inside the city, he's with his city, he's continuing to write his story in the city, so this is important, and um, let's also tell the story about the f- the apartment we lived. We lived in an apartment of Shevilov, Ukrainian, brilliant Ukrainian essayist of the the beginning of the century. He uh, of the twentieth century, th- 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 not th- the beginning, beginning, but the whole twentieth century. Yeah, but but then he left during the Second World War. He left Kharkiv and he left uh, then Soviet Union, as well. And this, um, we were told the story of these new buildings uh, of the early Soviet time, because before the Soviet time, Kharkiv looked like a provincial, not small, but uh, town with uh, maybe two-story buildings, three-story buildings, that's all. But then at the beginning of Soviet time, they started to construct a lot of these multi-story buildings. And for example, Shivilov and also the um, Budinok Slova. Budinok Slova it's a place where all writers, all writers, also Soviet, or Ukrainian writers were living in twenties, um, because they were given these apartments to 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 live and to create. And a lot of famous Ukrainian writers lived there. For example, Khvilo who, who was a leader of a whole generation. Mm, uh, so and these big buildings, they started to change this this, this architecture of the city uh, with constructivism. So we also know Dershprom, Gosprom in Russian. These huge buildings, which I kind of image uh, postcard of uh, of Kharkiv now. So it changed uh, this. Uh, image of kharkiv as being provincial like close to village into kind of industrial industrial image of kharkiv and it still has this this uh, industrial dimension of the city now
0: so to conclude to conclude uh, kharkiv has this double identity uh, because it it has an identity of of the soviet city Uh, and uh, maybe even avant-garde Soviet city, which is deeply connected with avant-garde Ukrainian culture of the 20s. But then this identity, uh, leftist Ukrainian identity, leftist Ukrainian story, the story of Ukrainian socialism, it's a a very interesting thing as well to study. It was also erased by the Soviet propaganda, by this Russian-Soviet imperialism. And now it's kind of a bringing back this ukrainian identity despite all this and maybe this horrible war is actually pushing many people in kharkiv to to rethink their lives and to to rediscover the ukrainian identity maybe this this will also be one of the consequences of this of uh, this horrible war but of course we wouldn't we wouldn't want it to be that way we, we would want it to be in a different way without this, this horrible war. But Kharkiv is a place of this, a, a city fortress, yes. And uh, Kharkiv zalizo beton, we say, and, and these people say, and we even have these T-shirts, how you translate it, Kharkiv? Iron and... Iron and metal, uh, no, iron, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, iron and stone, let's say mm-hmm. this, and mm-hmm. iron and concrete. mm mm-hmm. So this is this is this image of the city of this strong city and wonderful people who are who are living there. And despite this all this shelling, this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor, editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetiano Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. We remind you that you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com ukraineworld. We spend the majority of your support to help Ukrainian defenders and to help people affected by this war. You can follow us on social networks, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, to like what we do and to share this content with your colleagues and friends stay with us and stand with ukraine